Hi, this is Nels Davis, and you're listening to episode 75 of the All the Responsibility podcast. This episode started out as the five most important characteristics of product managers, but as I was planning it out, the focus changed. So this list of characteristics is partly a litmus test. If you have these characteristics, then you're more likely to be suited to being a product manager. And it's partly a training guide to help you with a few techniques for actually strengthening yourself in these areas. And of course, if you don't have the characteristics and you're not interested in getting them, then maybe you shouldn't be a product manager. But thinking about strengthening your abilities in these areas led me to another topic. And I'll get back to the five characteristics in a future podcast episode. I have a little bit more at the very end. So as I was noodling on this idea about characteristics and strengthening them, I started to think about one of the characteristics of characteristics, to be a little bit meta. You know, to some degree, you come with them. You come with the characteristics that you have. They're built in. There's a continuous debate, in fact, about what you can learn versus what your innate characteristics or talents or aptitudes are that can't be changed. For example, researcher Johnson O'Connor of General Electric back in the early part of the 20th century determined that what he called aptitudes were fixed. His definition of an aptitude is very specific. There are about 22 aptitudes he was able to measure. And in his research, he found that people typically were strong in a few and relatively weak in all the others, and that people's relative strength and weakness in their aptitudes didn't change over time. In other words, they were fairly stable. Some example aptitudes that he found, structural visualization, auditory aptitudes like pitch discrimination, rhythm memory, and tonal or melodic memory, analytical reasoning is another aptitude. The most important realization from O'Connor's research for our purposes is that different professions and vocations and avocations are much more suitable for some combinations of aptitudes versus other combinations. So just as an example, I mentioned one of the aptitudes O'Connor tests for is pitch discrimination. Obviously, an important talent for musicians, almost all professional musicians, certainly in orchestras, have a strong aptitude for pitch discrimination. On the other hand, it's generally not an important aptitude for success as a manager. But if you're the manager of an orchestra, well, it might be a great aptitude for that. It gives you commonality with the musicians you work with. It might give you a better appreciation of what your employees do, and so on. So if you find out you have great pitch discrimination, but you really want to be a manager, maybe you should focus on getting a job with an orchestra. And that's kind of the way you might think about using aptitudes or learning what your aptitudes are. Another interesting assessment, and I've talked about this one on the podcast before, is the Clifton Strengths Finder. So on the Clifton Strengths Finder, they list out 34 strengths. And in the test you take, which I'll put a link to in the show notes, they find your top five and your top 10 and actually the whole list of where, where you fall on all of the 34 strengths. And again, five or 10 out of the 34 are going to be your most important strengths. And the rest of them you're going to be less strong in. No matter what, you're going to be weak in some important areas. So Clifton Strengths Finder, the claim here is also that your strengths are fairly stable over time. You can potentially excel in areas that align with your strengths, but you can't get a lot better in the areas where your strengths are less aligned. So those are two familiar assessments, both of which come from a theory and presumably some evidence, although I haven't evaluated the evidence myself, that aptitudes and strengths are both relatively fixed over time. Now, in contrast, we have the idea of fixed versus growth mindset. Now, this research from Carol Dweck at Stanford and others 
is at odds with the other two because it maintains that we don't have fixed abilities or that they're fixed in a very different way and that we can always improve. For example, you might think you're bad at math, but if you get the right type of encouragement and do the right kind of approaching mathematics, that you can get a lot better than you think. And so it's an interesting set of tension here. So you're listening to episode number 75 of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. I hope it's a great investment of your time. Today's topic addresses a fundamental concern for everyone, how to be better, how to achieve more, how to be more effective. And in short, my guidance is to focus on playing to your strengths, unleashing your aptitudes, and mitigating, not necessarily improving, your weaknesses. Now you can find the notes for this show plus a place to leave me a comment or a complaint on the episode at alltheresponsibility.com slash 75. If you're a longtime listener, you might be hearing some rhymes in this episode with episode number 56 on soft skills for product managers, in which I also talked extensively about the Clifton strengths. Obviously, I'm a big fan of this idea, and I found it very useful. In the notes, you'll find links to that podcast and several other stories and episodes related to what I cover here. So in the world of Johnson O'Connor, I'm what's called a many-aptitude person. They also call it the too-many-aptitude person because it can be a handicap. And this means that out of the 22 or so aptitudes they test for, I'm strong in about five. Five aptitudes out of 20 is many, and I, I think that's kind of interesting, right? It means there's a bunch of things that I'm not that good at. My Clifton strengths are an interesting combination of leadership, influencing, and strategy. My top five strengths are ideation, meaning I'm good at coming up with ideas, adaptability, I take on new things easily, input, which means I'm always learning new stuff. That's why I learn about all these different kinds of aptitude testing. Connectedness, I see the connections between things. It doesn't mean I'm connected to people necessarily. It means that I see connections between disparate things and can always draw on those connections. And positivity, which means I'm always a positive person. So this means that I'm great at coming up with new ideas, at seeing connections that can create value and persuading people to align with my ideas. And I'm excellent at finding the best in people in situations. But again, there are 29 other strengths. And for me, the ones related to execution, the ones that help a person get podcast episodes out on time, for example, are relatively weaker for me. And yet, I do have to get things done and not just this podcast. And this gets to the fundamental point I want to explore in this episode finally. We have these fixed aptitudes and strengths, and yet we have evidence that having a growth mindset contributes to continuous improvement, and as a practical matter, we have to get things done, those of us who are execution challenged, and we have to figure out what to do, those who are idea and strategy challenged. And I think there are two key components to tying the fixed and the growth concepts together. At least this is what seems to be working for me and what makes sense to me. The first is that even though there are some fixed aptitudes and strengths, there are other modes where we're not fixed and we can get continuously better. For example, vocabulary. Johnson O'Connor found that people's vocabularies continually grew over time, and you could actually accelerate the rate your vocabulary grew if you did some training. And it turns out that vocabulary is one of the big predictors of success in your career, no matter what your career might be. But second, and probably at least as important in real-world situations, there's more than one way to skin a cat. For any domain that you need to conquer, say math, 
The different aptitudes and different strengths give you different sets of tools for conquering it. You know, in the Clifton Strengths world, they don't say you must have these five strengths to be an effective manager. They say, if you have this set of strengths, you'll have an easier time with this part of management and a harder time with this other part of management. That's certainly true for me and my Clifton Strengths related to product management. I'm really good at ideation, which means I'm good at coming up with new ideas. I'm good at connecting concepts together, which actually can sometimes create really cool synergies in the features that I create. But I need some help sometimes with the execution side. But the flip side is that both the aptitudes and strengths concept promoters say that if you don't have an aptitude for something you need to do, you have to backfill. You have to collaborate with someone with that aptitude. You have to use a tool or what I call a jig because I'm a woodworker. The fundamental takeaway from the strengths and aptitudes concepts is that you're better off focusing on using your strengths versus improving your weaknesses. The fact is that you're so much stronger at your strengths than you are at your weaknesses. Focusing on your weaknesses doesn't provide enough value. So you can't improve the weak areas in yourself as much as you can improve the strong areas. No matter how much you practice, you're going to hit a wall on pitch discrimination and never reach the level of someone who has that aptitude to start with. Instead, you outsource your areas of weakness. You find collaborators, you use tools, or sometimes you can just avoid those situations if that's feasible. You can choose a career that doesn't make use of pitch discrimination. That's one of the things that I've done. I'm not the manager of an orchestra, so pitch discrimination, even though I'm not that good at it, doesn't matter that much in my career. Now, in episode number 56, I mentioned the theory of comparative advantage in economics, which illustrates why this focus on your strengths actually works. It turns out to be a much better use of your resources to specialize in the things you're good at, that is your strengths, and use some kind of a means of exchange to get the things that you're not best at doing. In other words, your weaknesses are someone else's strengths and vice versa. Ideally, you can collaborate with others and the sum of your efforts will be much greater than the individual efforts. So I'll put a link to a write-up on the law of comparative advantage in the show notes. At minimum, it's another useful mental model to put in your toolbox. Another really important thing to realize is that diversity is a great mitigation for this. You know, these ideas illustrate yet another reason that diversity is so intrinsically valuable. We already know that having lots of different kinds of minds in your organization, on your team, can really help you be more effective. This is really one of the reasons that works. None of us can do it all. None of us have all the aptitudes or strengths that lead to massive success. And so you need to have multiple people who are all collaborating and all bringing different tools to the front in order to achieve that great success that you're looking for. So if you get someone on your team that complements your strengths and aptitudes, anything can happen. So on the execution side, for me, I have methods and tools and collaborators who help me get stuff done. So let's talk about a few takeaways. What do I want you to do with this information? Well, there's some things you can start doing today. I really highly recommend taking the assessments, at least one of them. The Johnson O'Connor assessment is a two-day in-person test. I'm not sure how they're doing it during the pandemic. It's worth checking out. It's $850. It was $600 when I took it a long time ago. There are about a dozen testing centers around the U.S. I feel it's money very well spent. Nearly everyone in my family and most of our acquaintances have invested, and we all feel we've gotten much more than our money's worth. And it's not a cult or anything. We don't, like, go back and things like that. But we all did invest in this to learn about what we were strong on. 
the synergies and the recognition and the realizations that came out of it for all of us were quite amazing. I think we all really felt that they really captured something that was not obvious and that helped us also learn about some things that we thought we might like to do, but that were less attuned to, we have less aptitudes for, and sometimes that helps you let go of something, which is kind of nice. Now, the other one is StrengthsFinder. You should definitely do StrengthsFinder. It's much, much cheaper. It's just the cost of a book. You buy the book, and I'll put a link in the show notes, and that gives you a code for the online test. That'll give you your top five strengths. If you want to get the rest, you have to sign up for a membership, which is still not that expensive. It's like 45 bucks. Um, and I would say it's worth it to learn the whole layout of your strengths from strongest to weakness. Step two is to figure out what your strengths and or aptitudes imply about what you should be doing and how you should be doing it. One of the great ways to learn more about this, in addition, of course, to the books and things, is that you can listen to Lisa Cummings' excellent podcast called Lead Through Strengths. She has 34 episodes, one for each strength, where she talks about how to make the best use of that particular strength in the context of being a business manager and also some things to watch out for, some ways to think about how that strength gives you different kinds of approaches to solving problems in the business and so on. She has a bunch of other episodes about all other kinds of aspects of strengths. I think it's a fantastic podcast. I've loved listening to them. I found them extremely valuable. So that's step number two. And then, of course, step number three, and Lisa Cummings' podcast also has a lot of advice around this, is to figure out what you need to do to buttress your weaknesses or the areas where you're less strong whether that's via collaboration or via tooling or via avoiding things or the way you think about things. And again, avoiding things is a legitimate tactic. You know, so whatever you learn, you're definitely going to want to focus for a little while on the things that are not in your wheelhouse, come up with some strategies for mitigating those weaknesses, not by fixing them in yourself, but by adding people to your team, whatever that might be, or adding tools to your process, or by structuring your work or habits to minimize their impact. So summarizing, there's this concept that we have these stable aptitudes and strengths. And what does that mean in particular? It means that you should not put your efforts into improving your weaknesses, but into taking advantage of your strengths. There's also this countervailing concept of the growth mindset, which means don't sell yourself short. Don't think of yourself as somebody who can only do a certain set of things, because that's also not true. And I'll put a link to the sh in the show notes to Carol Dweck's book. I mentioned her earlier. She was the researcher who came up with this concept of fixed mindset versus growth mindset. Really good book that will give you some additional insights into what you can do to help be more successful. The reality is that real world things are more complicated than these models. And so whatever it is that you're going to end up doing, there's multiple ways to apply the strengths you do have to being successful. And of course, there's a lot bigger payback for focusing on getting stronger on your strengths and you need to mitigate your weaknesses so you make the maximum use of your strengths and diversity and different techniques of mitigation are really important. Now let me tease you a little bit about characteristics before I finish. The top five most important characteristics for product managers, in my opinion, are these. The first one is empathy. Being able to put yourself in the shoes of your audience, of your customer, somebody like that, a different person. Second, you need to be fluent in multiple languages. And I don't mean French and Italian. I mean business, technical, and customer. And sometimes you have to speak all three of them at once in the same meeting, which is kind of fun and challenging. 
You have to be very good at seeing both the big picture and the small picture often at the same time in the same conversation. And that actually ties into the next one a lot, which is about mental flexibility, in particular around context switching. You know, a typical product management day is not you do the same thing all day. It's you do six different things. You talk about strategy. You talk about short-term planning. You talk about long-term planning. You talk about bug triage, and you maybe work on a, on a requirement to try to refine it so that people can build a good thing for you. And maybe you talk to a customer on that day as well. Those are all happening on the same day. You typically are going to be having all kinds of context switches, and you have to be good at it. And finally, you need to be able to make decisions. And I kind of characterize that as opinionated but flexible. You need to be quick at making decisions. You need to be willing to make decisions without having all the information. You need to be willing to say, oh, that was a bad decision. Let us reverse it when you've made a decision that you realize quickly is not a good one. Most decisions, luckily, can be reversed or they can be modified. And so that's a really fundamental characteristic of a product manager is that you're not too tied into what you decided. You can quickly change if necessary if the evidence suggests you should. Now, none of these is an aptitude like Johnson O'Connor tests for or a strength like StrengthsFinder tests for. There's some relationships there, and I'll probably go into a little bit more on the relationships between aptitudes and strengths and these characteristics when I get to my full podcast episode about characteristics. And I will be working on an episode about characteristics. I'll give you more details on what I mean by each of them, how to use the list as a list litmus test for your own product management suitability, and also some ideas about how to get stronger at these characteristics if you really want to build them up. So I mentioned several resources, books, and previous podcasts in this episode, and of course, you can find links to all of them on the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 75. You'll also find links to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. When you subscribe, the great thing is that you get the new episodes automatically when I release them, which is roughly every week or two. There's more information on the show notes page, like how to get in touch with me directly, in a comment section, I'd love to hear from you. There's a link to my book if you're interested. But that's about it for the show today. Until next time, this is Nels Davis. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.